Boy Scouts of the Air in Belgium by Gordon Stewart Chapter 3 Under Arrest He's right, called out Bob sharply, staring hard, and in his excitement he gripped Ned's arm so tightly that his companion winced. The latter, as well as Hans, had caught sight of and recognized the trunk being carried away in the soldier-guarded wagon. The trunk was an old-style American make. The boys had passed jokes upon its antiquity many a time. There were few tourists in Earl, and it came from the little hotel, so that there was not likely to be any mistake in their conclusions. This looks sort of ominous, suggested Bob, thinking fast. Yes, when you come to connect the professor with the trunk and those soldiers, why... Come on, cried Bob. The professor isn't here, at any rate, and we've got to find him. Wagon, soldiers, and Hans had by this time disappeared around the corner. The two chums started in that direction, but they had not gotten ten feet before they were halted. There was a narrow passageway leading in from the street between the hotel and the building adjoining. As they neared this, a figure in official uniform stepped into view and treading on his hills were three soldiers. The leader of the coterie stepped to the middle of the sidewalk and barred progress by slanting the sheathed sword he wore at his side directly in front of the boys. Halt, he ordered, but pleasantly enough. Instinctively, the unexpected appearance and word of command aroused all that was martial in the boys. They came to attention, toes squared, chin high, made a quick salute, every inch young soldiers. A speedy smile, pleased and admiring, crossed the face of this officer. He studied the faces of the boys keenly, and half turned his head as one of the soldiers spoke some quick words, at the same time pointing to the hotel, as if connecting them with that domicile. The officer nodded, then to the surprise of the boys, he spoke in very good English. You are of the party stopping at the hotel? That's it, Bob Ned, in his impetuous way. We are Americans. As Ned spoke, he threw back one side of his coat. Its lapel bore the athletic medal of the Boy Scouts. But he did not trust to it that a foreign officer would understand what it stood for. Holding back the coat, he revealed, plainly pinned to his vest front, a little silk American flag. There was an indulgent twinkle in the eyes of the young officer at this manifestation. Perhaps he felt like humoring the boys. It might have been mockery, or the fine military behavior of the boys really pleased him. At all events, he dropped a low, quick word to his fellows, and he and they touched their caps, as if in tribute to the flag presented. "'You belong at the hotel,' went on the officer. "'Of the party of Professor Dean, I assume.' Why, yes, that's right, assented Ned quickly. Say, you don't know him. I have the pleasure, bowed the officer, though in a reserved way, and offered no further comment on that point. We are looking for him, explained Bob. He was to have met us at the railroad station. We were to have left Earl today. I know, observed the officer, and Bob fancied that face and manner hardened a trifle. 
You can't tell us where we might find him, can you? Broke in Ned urgently. My young friends, came the reply, studiously courteous but guarded. And somehow, Bob thought, significant. It will be as well for you to defer any search for Professor Deans for the present. Why is that? inquired Ned. But the officer ignored the query and went on. As well, too, that you find some permanent domicile and see to it that you are named in the new registration. We can make no distinctions in the general embargo. You mean we'll have to stay in Earl? propounded Bob. Indefinitely, came the terse response, and Bob noted in the way the word was spoken a kind of severity he did not like. He spoke out plainly, as was his usual way. Lieutenant, won't you please tell us just where we stand and what we are to expect? As outsiders, of course, we have no business here, but that is not our fault, you see. You should have left before, spoke the officer. There was plenty of warning and opportunity. Perhaps, agreed Bob, but Professor Dean had some serious business that detained him here. You mean with Herr Verbrock, broke in the officer sharply. In fact, quite harshly. Yes, sir. You see, the professor is interested in art and science, and... I know all about your professor, and also Herr Verbrock, interrupted the German lieutenant brusquely. Present arms! he ordered, coming to a salute stiff as a poker. You will be wise to present yourselves for registration, he added quickly in an undertone. Then Bob and Ned drew to one side. A group of officers came down the street, and the lieutenant and his men, after they had gone by, fell in behind them in marching order, and the group disappeared, leaving the chums staring vaguely at one another. Well, that's cool, observed Ned. At least it puts us on a basis, returned Bob. It is simple and plain. We are shut up here with the others. No favors sworn. But the professor, where can he be? That is the phase of the case I don't like, remarked Bob soberly. The way that officer spoke of the professor and Herr Verbroek had an undertone that sounded like a threat. Well, what are we going to do? questioned Ned. It's a muddle, confessed Bob. I suppose Hans and the trunk are past looking for. Why, there's somebody in the hotel. One of the side doors of the little hotel was cautiously open. A shock of red, tussled hair protruded into view, a pale, twitching face beneath it. Its owner stared up, and then down, the deserted street, in a terror-stricken way. Bob and Ned recognized the head waiter of the hotel. He seemed glad to view familiar and friendly faces as the boys advanced. He drew them inside the doorway and began gesticulating, breaking out into a jargon of mixed Flemish and English. It did not take the boys long to get the key to his excited and disconnected discourse. The man indicated to them by leading them from room to room the vacancy and desolation of the hotel. His affrighted employers and the guests had been among the refugees on the last train leaving Hurl. He was alone and scared. Would the boys remain for company? What about the professor and the trunk? Bob inquired. In his broken talk, the man told that Professor Dean had not gone back to the hotel since morning. No one had come for the trunk. 
An hour previous, however, the lieutenant and the soldiers the boys had met had appeared. They had banged at the door, and he had opened it. The lieutenant had stated his mission speedily. He ordered the servant to take them at once to the room the professor had occupied. They searched the furniture, even the bedclothes. Then they lifted the trunk. They took it away. Ah, the end had come. There would be no more hotel, no more earl, no more anything. All this looked pretty ominous to Bob. His anxiety and indecision were shared by Ned. They discussed the feasibility of going to the depot and helping Tom and Miles bring the baggage to the hotel. You see, we may as well take shelter here as anywhere else, suggested Ned. It's a central point. Hans will probably soon report here. The professor, too, if... if... Ned gulped a little dismally. If he's alive... Oh, I guess there's no doubt about his being alive, said Bob. As to his being free to come to us, that that is another question. Why, what do you mean? challenged Ned. Well, to tell the truth, replied Bob, I think the Germans have got him as a prisoner. They wouldn't dare, flared up Ned. Then he added in a more subdued tone, Why should they make him a prisoner? And why should they be so anxious to get his trunk? questioned Bob. We must work out both problems and find out where we stand. First and foremost, we must report to Tom and Miles. The hotel servant followed the boys to the street in a timid, anxious way, exhorting them to return and make the place their lodgings. He felt it a duty to remain forlornly at his post until he saw how affairs were going to turn out. Bob assured the lonesome and badly frightened fellow that he would see them again. They started in the direction of the railroad depot. It was getting on towards dusk, and the situation appeared more grim and foreboding than ever. They passed few people, and these were hurrying or slinking along, silent and worried-looking. The two were turning into the street leading to the depot when a sharp cloppity-clop echoed from the cobblestones of the street behind them. Then there was a hail. "'It's Hans,' announced Bob, halting. "'It was Hans.' He came flying distractedly towards them, pale and breathless. Coming up to them, he halted, all in a tremble. "'The professor!' he gasped. "'You have found him? You have seen him?' inquired Bob eagerly, but a great fear in his voice. "'Nein! Non! No!' vociferated Hans, and desolately. "'He has been arrested by the Germans!' And then Hans gave out a final announcement in a jerky sentence. As a spy. <laughs>